Welcome, everybody. It is installment number 135 all-time of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports. I'm Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SC Network. We, uh, you know, lately, it started during COVID, and the guest parade just started going full blast, and so many of you have enjoyed the interviews that we've had, everybody from Tim Brando to Brad Nessler and uh, everybody in between. And those of you that are either in Atlanta or just college football fans in general, you're probably familiar with our next guest. He goes by Chuck Oliver. He is the uh, co-host of Chuck and Chernoff for My Money, the best sports talk show in Atlanta. Also has his own college football specific show that he does five days a week, 12 months out of the year, regardless of what is going on. He is Chuck Oliver. Chuck, how are you? Dude, if you retire from broadcasting and want to be a publicist, um, yeah. I'm hiring. <laughs> well, I, I meant what I said. You know, you and I uh, go back a ways. For those that don't know, Chuck and I did some games together back in the CSS era before the uh, network became defunct, kind of the USFL. Like it had so much promise, produced a lot of talented people, and, and then it went belly up for several different reasons. Uh, and then you and I have done some radio uh, here and there together as well. And, and Oh, yeah, we got history. We worked for the same employers a couple of times. A couple um, of times, you were actually, right. Yeah, you were actually part of the initial uh, when WCNN 680, the fan in Atlanta, got the Braves rights back in 10. You were part of that initial crew. Yeah. Uh, and I'd already worked with you on a bunch of college football back in, and you said Conference USA for a few years at, uh, right. at CSS. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've talked about my time with the Braves, one of my uh, uh, favorite moments of my career, chance to call major league baseball and, and, and also to get in that umbrella. And this kind of ties in with the, you know, this is your life, Chuck Oliver, part of the, of the interview. And then we'll, we'll delve deep into college football stuff, but you know, I, I got to see up front what 680 the fan looks like and, and how it's run. And, and for my money, again, especially if you're a college football fan, like if you want to talk Atlanta Hawks 24-7, maybe 680 is not for you. But, it, you know, JC, who lived in Atlanta, um, and I've talked about it now living in Atlanta for 11 years, this is the mecca of college football. It's not just because the College Football Hall of Fame came here. On any given Saturday, you can go to a Taco Mac, and there's going to be – Georgia fans at one section, Alabama at another, Tennessee at another, Florida at another, Florida State in another. There's a melting pot of college football fans. So how perfect is it for you to talk four hours a day in a market that absolutely is so passionate about college football? It really is like the ultimate, you know, good fortune in life. And I, and I mean that sincerely. Uh, that's not like humble, you know, fake, whatever, but uh, because I did happen to grow up in the South and, you know, lived here all my life, uh, went to an, and graduated from an SEC university. And again, I happened to meander into sports talk radio, which, you know, I, it's not possible. You ask a fourth grader, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? You may get the, the right answer. I couldn't have given you that answer because when I was in fourth grade, sports talk radio didn't exist. And so, it, I mean, it, it, it didn't. Now that was 79, maybe 78. And so, you know, you fast forward all the way now, I'm 53 years old. And for 21 years, I've been in Atlanta, again, fortunate enough to never be fired, had, had to hopscotch around from, you know, Panama City to Myrtle Beach to, you know, wherever else trying to move up the food chain. Um, really, really fortunate to have worked with so many good people. But you're right. What I, I didn't grow up, you know, necessarily a hockey fan or an NBA fan. I grew up as a college football fan, and that's kind of what I make my living doing. It's, um, and, and in the Deep South, particularly Atlanta, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of folks that want to talk college football every single day. We've been doing that since the beginning of the 14th season. Yeah, you got three SEC graduates uh, uh, joining in on this, all from different schools. And, and again, that's the beauty of Atlanta. It's not just Georgia fans here. I, I try to tell people that all the time. I think they assume it's Georgia, Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech is like 15th on the list of priorities in this market. Oh, my gosh. There's a sports bar about, I mean, a tee shot in the forearm from my house that it's the biggest collection of Ohio State people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then the, then the next day it's all Cleveland Browns. Right. And they're not right. even good most years. No, no. But I mean, that is, it is, it's a great, people mock Atlanta because uh, you know this, and I've heard you and, and Matt, I know it's a sensitive subject for both of you guys because you're, you're from the, the market. You've lived here basically your whole mm -hmm. lives. 
and and people dog Braves fans as bandwagon fans and Falcon fans and not showing up when the team's not good. I, I, like I get it. It's, it's a transient city. A lot of people that live here like me are not from here. But in terms of the diversity of taste for a number of different football teams, it, it, it's fantastic. Like I, I love this market for that reason. And again, it plays into what you do. And for those that don't know, you also have a all college football show. Monday through Friday, 12, excuse me, five days a week, 12 months out of the year. And I, I've been on that show with you. I, yeah. I, I know, I know better not to bring up another sport. Like you, you really <laughs> zero in on college. It's like there's shock therapy when you bring up something else. Like, no, 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 this is not what we do here. Yeah, do you- people, how do you do that? Because even, you know, JC and I do this once, once every week or so you do it every day. Sometimes there's nothing going on. And I've taken by by order. I took two calls one day. Um, those are the only two calls I've ever taken because I'm looking. I was like, my gosh, it's only a two hour show, people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my bosses. They're like, take calls. I'm like, everybody else takes calls. If somebody really wants to call a college football show, you don't need a roadmap. All right, there is no right. sword. There is no stone. You can call and talk college football 150 places. I was like, this is two hours. I want it to be like a sprint. From you know, opening gun to when we wrap it up at the end with the Andy Griffith theme, um, two hours of just real fast-paced, good college football talk. And um, like I said, I've been doing that since the beginning of the 14 season. You know, last year I had some folks ask me, uh, "What are you doing during the pandemic? How are you talk?" I was like, "College football doesn't play eight months a year anyway." I was like, "I had five years practice before the pandemic showed up." Mm-hmm. So there's always, you know, yesterday was, you know, you're talking about a day in late May. All right. And hadn't had a game in four months. Won't have a game for another three. I had three hours of material, four hours of material easily about transfers and coaching rumors and uh, expanding the playoffs and, you know, kids in bowl games. There's just, I mean, it's college football. There is never uh, literally not one day have I ever sat around going, oh, my gosh, you got to come up with something to talk about. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't have caller polls. Who's got a cooler helmet, Texas A&M or Michigan? <laughs> I'm just not doing it. I mean, it's, it's, bless you for that. It's right. the only sport on the planet, too, where if you look at it, you know, you're only guaranteed like 12 game days <laughs> a year. You know, so a lot of schools play 13, some 14 or 15, 15 max. Uh, and it's probably the only sport on the planet where you play that few games. And you're talking about it over and over for 351 or 50 days a year. JC, you know, uh, y'all know Louis Grizzard, who he was? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a okay. uh, 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 hero, actually, kind of a mind. Yeah. Buck Baloo yeah. loves this story, too, doesn't he, Chuck? Louis <laughs> uh, <laughs> Grizzard. Uh, famous author, humorist, I'll say. And one of his funniest lines I heard him, he actually spoke when I was in college, he came over. And, you know, a lot of the jokes you probably heard when you're in fourth grade, but Lewis could sell it, and so it was still funny. Um, but one of the things he said that I had never heard anyone reference before, he said, there are, you know, everybody talk about the four seasons. He says, there's only two seasons in the South. There's football season and getting ready for football season. And so getting ready for football season is eight, it's twice as long as the actual season and, you know, JC, it's funny because we have all these marks on our calendar. Anybody listening right now, you've done this too. You, when tickets show up, your season tickets come in the mail, like you start texting around every, oh, you get your tickets? I got my tickets. Um, you know they're coming because you paid for them. And you, ha- <laughs> and you can't, whether you get them on July 1st, July 10th, August 13th, you can't go to the game until September 4th anyway, but it's a huge deal. Hey, the tickets are in the mail. They started coming. Um, and then you open them up and, it's just a bunch of paper. And now it's just a code. It's just an access on your phone. And it's still, hey, my access code showed up. We're talking to Chuck Oliver. Chuck, one last question on the past before we look ahead to the future. And that, and I, we've asked everybody this. And, and I've mentioned that, you know, we had Andy Staples on, for example. Uh, he's one of the few national writers who I was actually pleasantly surprised, didn't feel the need to vomit their politics all over every story uh, during the middle of a pandemic. Um, But uh, I think college football fans learned a lot about the people that they read their information from and their information from. How did you balance that on a four hour talk show? Uh, It's impossible not, not to cross over and transcend over sports lines during that time. And there's very opinionated people in Atlanta 
that feel the need to have a hot take on that. So how did you and Matt balance all that? And, and what was your overall feel about the way it was covered as a whole? I thought that there was way too much of a, a of an attention slash click slash hopefully eventually revenue grab uh, based around uh, you already had a, a populace of, I mean, teeth chattering fear from spouses and parents and homeowners. The last thing you needed in the media was to approach it from that angle. Um, I, and I'll be honest, this is not a fun thing to talk about, but I, 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 don't, I don't mind doing it. Uh, I talked, to, I was kind of in that category myself sometimes looking around like I'm like everybody else. There's a deadly person to person transmitted virus floating all through the air. Oh yes. And now I mentioned it actually on my show uh, last week that when that date came, do you remember, you know, we all woke up and there was an announcement from the California university system, California state university system that all athletics for the entire year are canceled. Mm-hmm. Now they obviously went back and changed that, but I was like, that could be all sports. That could be everything. And you know, it's one thing to talk college football in March, April, May, June when there's no college football being played. It's another thing when there ain't no college football being played and there's not going to be college football being played. So I was like everybody else. I was like, okay, what about, uh, you know, the mortgage? What about the groceries? Um, as far as how it came out on air, um, I basically got marching orders. And I mean, not from management here. They didn't say a word to me. Um, from either colleagues or listeners or friends, they were like, hey, man, I need this today. And so I, 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 this, I don't mean to be like self-important because I'm not. I watch games, talk about games. Um, it was like, hey, go talk sports and, you know, distract people. And so I'll admit, I put blinders on. And when it got to be, this is how, this is how soon I pulled the plug. When worldwide, worldwide cases were 100,000, not dead, cases, 100,000 worldwide and 3,000 cases in the United States, I unplugged from all news. I, I stopped going on Twitter. I stopped doing whatever. I was like, I know how this is going to go and it's going to take a long time. And I just can't handle it given the dynamic of my job. All right. Be entertaining and engaging in three, two. I was like, screw that. <laughs> I was like, I, ca- I can't sit around and watch that, you know, daily testing numbers and all that. I was like, can't right. do it. Um, and so I just tried to do as normal a show as possible while not insulting the listeners. I mean, I acknowledged what was out there and I talked about, when the quite L, you know, rapid testing came. Well, that's a news story. It's a news story about testing for a virus. Um, and that was a good one. When I remember Marshall was the first team coming back and they had two positive tests on like June 2nd or 3rd or something. And you remember when we all freaked out uh, like a week? You remember June 1, they could all come back if they chose. Houston was had the first outbreak. Did, right. did y'all remember the number? Oh, yeah. Six. Yeah. They had six positives. And you remember what the Cougars did? They shut down, sent everybody back to the, isolated everybody with six positives. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just, and that, so that was a news story. And we, and, but it was also college football. And so I was not going to deal in fear and, and panic and try to goose my numbers. Cause I didn't care about the numbers, you know, it's, right. it's revenue that keeps you on. And so I wasn't going to do that. And I, I hope it came off all okay. I remember when the Florida Marlins on a road trip after baseball finally started had the first kind of sports outbreak, if you will, in the middle of the season. And again, the same college football writers that continually said, how dare you even think of playing this year, use that as ammunition to say, Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about playing college football, you are just a hedon. You don't care about human life. You don't get it. Uh, you're completely unhinged and you're can, can a bad I, person. Yeah, I want to throw in something that both of y'all don't know because, you know, Mike, obviously you've been in Columbia and JC, you've been all around on the South. Um, you know, I said we're in nine states and 51 sticks every day, and that's the nice little slogan and all that. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, we're based out of Atlanta. And so I'm talking to all the, you know, affiliates and hosts that we have on from affiliates who, you know, are experts and, you know, we want to have them on the show. And I'm talking about what if there is no college season? What if there's no NFL season? Just from, you know, an economics doing your job standpoint. Guys, almost, and I mean, almost no exceptions. And it's not just like Meridian, Mississippi, in Jacksonville, Florida, I was told. And they're the Jaguars, uh, 1010XL, they're the Jags flagship and they're an affiliate. They said, yeah, we're the Jags flagship. If we don't have high school football, 
talking to our affiliate in Jackson, Mississippi, they were like, yeah, we want college football. If we don't have high school football, it is going to wreck us financially. Yeah. Affiliates yeah. in South Carolina, if we don't have high school football, we're done. Mm-hmm. Um, that was as important as anything. And Mike, I was at least thinking, well, the colleges can test. They got money. High schools, I'm really skeptical about that. And high schools pulled it off. Yeah, they sure did. And by the way, you know, it, it's only timely the fact that SEC schools now are are getting an extra $23 million. I've heard that reported in the wrong way. It, it The money is not, it wasn't just sitting there in the basement. Greg Sankey said, just dust it off. Let's give everybody $23 million. They are using that from future earnings from the new ESPN deal taking over CBS. So it's basic, like an advance. Like exactly. It's an advance or robbing Peter to pay Paul, however you want to call it. But I, I heard from more than one SEC athletic director, if we didn't have a college football season last year, SEC schools were going to, they already were in conversations with banks, borrowing money to stay afloat. Okay. I, I don't think people realize just how much we are on the verge of a lot of things going south and perhaps oh, yeah. permanently south if we didn't have some type yeah. of makeshift season last year. Yeah, the University of Georgia, and I'm just going to give you some rough numbers here, and they're going to be wrong, but I think they're close. Um, roughly, I don't know, $60 million in debt, but roughly $120 million reserve fund. All right, UGA is looking around going, mm-hmm, we got $120 liquid cash reserve fund. Um, I saw the quote from the Grambling AD referencing that going, yeah, I saw Georgia got $110 million in the bank. Our entire budget for the year is $10 million. Right. Um, and so there were a lot of athletic departments that, oh, you know, people started crowing about cutting softball and swimming. I was like, folks, that's the beginning of it. Um, and so you saw some places like Stanford, I guess, over the weekend. Did you see they actually, there were 11 sports they were going to ax. Reinstated. Um, and I, yeah. By the way, I don't get up in arms about that. I mean, a school isn't supposed to, you offer 15, you offer 35. I don't care. Just offer sports. Um, I don't think that there's any sort of huge draw for the, 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 you know, number of sports. If you cut sports, I don't know, restaurants close, you mm-hmm. know, pro sports teams move. If you cut sports, you cut sports. It's like anything else. It's not hallowed. Right. Uh, no, no question. All right. So you mentioned Georgia. Uh, let's get into it. Let's talk about some SEC coming up because it won't be long before we're, we're SEC media days and we're talking about fall practice and, and so on and so forth. Hashtag Ruby Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah. Ruby Tuesday. uh, Galleria Mall, uh, great Chick-fil-A and uh, Smoothie King. Mike um, knows there's always a Ruby Tuesday salad bar on me. Abs- yes. So. Big, big spender, Chuck Oliver. Um, Chuck, as so I mentioned – yeah, you guys do a terrific job of of not just talking Georgia. I mean, that's look, that's the red meat in this market. Uh, you you cover the conference as a whole. You cover cover college football as a whole. As I think any as good as well as any local show in the country. Um, but Georgia is the focal point. We have a ton of Georgia fans here in Atlanta, and and I think there's something interesting brewing there. And I want to see if if you share this sentiment with your interaction with Georgia fans, Kirby Smart. It's kind of a, there's a unique love, not love. I'm not going to say hate. Nobody hates Kirby, certainly not Georgia fans, but a love, not love relationship with Kirby. And you can't argue with what he's done on one hand. Okay. He takes over from Mark Rick. They go eight and five year one, 13 and two, 11 and three, 12 and two, and then eight and two in a, in a COVID year. They play for the national championship in his second year, uh, bowl games, Rose, sugar, sugar, peach, SEC championship, Eastern Division championships, 2017 through 2019. And yet I still get this feeling that in a year where everybody predicts Georgia is going to win the East, he is only one disappointing year from all these Georgia fans going, ah, I, I've had enough. I, he, he, can't, he can't get us to the next level. Do you sense that percolating in the air? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I don't have Mark Rick's uh, numbers in front of me. I think he won – he was there 15 seasons, won by 150 games, uh, like 145 games or something. And so let's just call that Mark Richt averaged 10 wins a year for a decade and a half at an SEC school. Here is, here is the ridiculous nature of the job that Kirby's done. Kirby took over from that. Literally every part of that program is better. Recruiting, facilities, eventual on-field production, fundraising, uh, everything about a program where they had just averaged 10 wins in the SEC. And by the way, part of that time in the East was when you had the three monsters in, in Knoxville and Gainesville too. 
So that's the job Kirby's done. Um, I bet you after that second year, Kevin Sumlin was like, you done screwed up, Kirby. Um, you don't, you don't want to have that much success out of the gate, man. Um, and if not for a second 26, though, he would, you know, you have a lot of success. You set yourself up to, 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 you know, reap the negative outcomes of that. If you don't continue to replicate that insane level of success, but I'm just talking about, you have incredible success. That's if you don't win a title, if you win the title, if second 26 doesn't happen, then Kirby is he's it's it's a totally different environment for him right now. I don't think you've overstated that at all. And in fact, Kirby, he may have that dynamic more than any head coach in the game in 2021, that literally the only box that you can check for me is a national championship. Um, and, and to keep me happy as a Georgia fan. And, and I don't I won't say a Bama fan is the same way. I'm saying a Bama fan expects a national championship, but after how many they've had, I think if if Nick Saban, they somehow go 10 and two and don't even make the SEC title game and finish second in the division, blah, blah, blah. I think a Tide fan will be, a Tide fan will be disappointed. Eh, I've got six other titles. Uh, maybe next year. That is not true for Kirby. Second I mean, and 20. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, uh, that's a program, though, that, I mean, that, what is it, 41 years since they last yep. won a national title? Yep. And, they, I've noticed it. I think you're absolutely right about that second and 26 in that game, just getting there. It was such a magical year for Georgia fans. You went in South Bend, you went in the Rose Bowl, you had to play for the national championship in, in your home state. Um, you get a taste of that. It's hard to get excited about, you know, the actual accomplishments. You know, Georgia is the first SEC East program since the Gators under Steve Spurrier in the nineties to win the division three straight years. And I never hear anybody talk about that. Kirby hmm. smarts 52 and 14. He's got the only number one recruiting class besides Alabama consensusly. Uh, I think that's a word consensusly in, in the last uh, 13, 14 recruiting mm-hmm. cycles. Now, now a lot of that class is gone. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't think that class is going to make as much of an impact as maybe some of his other top five classes, but uh, you know, nobody ever talks about that. And I think it's a function of that 2017 run they made, which was magical across the board and the fans just wanting more and more and more of that. It's true. And, you know, Kirby, this is where they ascended to pretty quickly. You know, there's about, I don't know, maybe a half dozen programs that in my opinion, they're not really in divisions anymore. They're not really in conferences. Um, and by the way, it's a dangerous thing to, you know, you only get there by being elite, but then it's dangerous because, uh, like Miami opens against Bama and you may actually hear me. I can't believe a coach would do this, but you may actually hear Manny Diaz reference. Well, you know, it's not a non, it's not a conference game. So, uh, and the built in part is if we lose and eh, it doesn't really matter. Dabo can't say that about the opener. Dabo ain't in a division or a conference. Kirby can't say that about the opener. He's not in a division or a conference. Neither is Nick Saban, Ohio state. There are some programs and those are the programs, the ones that aren't really in conferences, those are the only ones that can get, be considered for an at-large bid in my mind that, that you finished second. You didn't even win your own power five conference, but we ain't let you in anyway. It's those programs that we all know we can name them. And there's, like I said, maybe six, five that they have to win everything, including the non-conference, you know, week one paycheck game. Uh, that's where Kirby got the program. He just hadn't. Get, and what, what is every other program in that group? They got natties. They got hardware within the past 41 years. How quickly they forget, right? Uh, but, but, you know, the first thing that comes out of a – I just said had lunch with a huge Georgia fan yesterday. Same thing. Love Kirby, but – and it's always the second and 26. It's squandering three double-digit halftime leads and losses to Alabama. Uh, it's the fake punt. It's not using Joshua Fields properly. And, and it's just this list of the things that they look at and say, we could be Alabama – had not for this happened under Kirby. Well, you wouldn't be that close to Alabama had it not been for Kirby. So that's the – I would just say this to, for, for Kirby. Do not lose to Florida this year. <laughs> just don't do it because it's going to be tumultuous. I'm going to tell you two things about that 17 season, J.C., you were talking about. So right. Um, and you mentioned the Rose Bowl. Mm-hmm. I don't know that this is possible, but, you know, the most iconic play in Georgia football history, may, in college football, you know, it's one of them. The SEC certainly is, you know, Baluda to Lindsay, 1980 Georgia, uh, Georgia-Florida game. Um, that Sony Michelle run down the sidelines mm-hmm. in Pasadena, brother, it's, it's 1A. It's 1A. And I'm going to tell you something be. else that 
that Georgia fans, that Nick Fairley game in 2010, that changed the Auburn series forever. Um, and I, I, I'm an Auburn grad, and I just did, I realized I, just, I didn't say rivalry. I said game because since 2006, it hadn't been a rivalry. It's been Tennessee-Bama since 2006. Um, and in 2017, one of the, I think, three times Auburn's won that game in a decade and a half, what, three weeks later in Atlanta, Kirby, mm. he walked off the field with one shoe, man. I mean, it was – and he enjoyed it too. He really enjoyed it. And so all, uh, Georgia fans, they've always hated Florida and Tennessee, and if they pay attention to Georgia Tech, they hate them too, but that's like one afternoon. Mm. Um, Auburn got into that category, and y'all know this. After I mean, 100 years of it kind of being brothers and cousins, now it's, it's middle finger. No doubt about it. A closing up shop with Chuck Oliver. Uh, Chuck, let's just get into some other storylines. You pick it. Uh, potluck here for Chuck in the final few minutes. What else are you uh, looking why for? Do LSU fans, <laughs> why, why do LSU fans think that Max Johnson absolutely is the answer for that team? I'm going to give you all a quick uh, a little story here. I was on um, getting interviewed by somebody um, about LSU football. And, you know, who do you think will win the job? And I said, well, I think Miles Brennan, because any coach worth his salt, if it's apples to apples, is like, all right, who's the older guy? Who's played more? Who's been in the program? Who's, I mean, who's even in a college weight program, run and lift and eat? Who's physically mature? All things equal. You always go with the veteran. And so that was the basis for my answer. And I was like, well, I think Miles Brennan's going to get the job. Blah, blah, blah. LSU fans acted like I suggested closing the Vatican. Um, they want Max Johnson more than you can imagine. And I'm like, I saw the swamp as well. I saw Ole Miss and I saw good things and maybe he does win the job. I don't have an opinion on it, like as far as what I want to happen. But I mean, y'all tell me the veteran, every single coach, if you have a choice, you always go with the older guy, don't you? Well, I think that I've never been a Brennan guy. Uh, you know, even when he was a recruit, I, I thought it was weird. And, and there's, there's a little subtext to this because when they signed Joe Burrow, Miles Brennan's dad went to the media complaining about it. And and I wouldn't be surprised just, and you know, you do Max Johnson is, does have great. I mean, I, I think if I'm not mistaken, that's Brad Johnson's son, right? Yeah. Mark Rick's uh, uh, nephew. Nephew, you know, so I, I think that it's probably on the part of LSU fans, a little bit of personal preference and, you know, maybe some, 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 Un, uh, you know, a buried animosity because of, of of Brennan's dad's comments, and then, you know, I think a lot of times fans do gravitate toward whoever the bigger name is, uh, and so the next speak. guy, yeah, and the next guy at that position, particularly. I mean, heck, I think, I think they're about to about to see a heck of a quarterback uh, go up the road to Auburn. Uh, to be honest with you, if you're talking about LSU quarterbacks and TJ Finley, but um, uh, it, there's more to that that Miles Brennan thing. Uh, I think uh, in terms of uh, just kind yeah, of sounds, some of the sounds past. like I was sounds like I was just evaluating the quarterbacks. Yeah, and I wasn't evaluating the family dynamic. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that, that, that's just my take on it. Just because it, I, I don't see a nickel. I mean, like I said, I've never been a Brennan guy, but based on their <laughs> body of work at LSU, I don't really see a nickel's difference between the two. They both had excellent moments, and they've had moments when they haven't been so good. I, I'll say this just from an evaluation standpoint: Johnson has a little bit better wheels. You know he can he can run a little better, but uh, that's it. I mean that's that's really not really, not really a Nichols difference. And you're right, Brennan is older. Chuck, last question before you hop on your own show, aptly named yeah. the Chuck Oliver Show. Uh, we had a focus group, by the way. Yeah, I, so. I think that 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 was probably a good call on that one, um, as as opposed to using an alias. I. I want to get I want to get your reaction, not just because you're an Auburn guy, quote unquote, uh, but just in general, your uh-huh. reaction when you heard of the hire of Brian Harson versus your reaction, you know, maybe weeks, months later after getting to know more about him. Uh, give me give me both of those. OK, I'll say uh, uh, the best way is when I finally heard about the Brian Harson hiring because roughly well Gus got canned on a Sunday day after the season ended and I think it was like probably the next Wednesday when it was official hey Brian Harson's going to be the coach about 10 days in the interim that Kevin Steele thing happened and like I found a paper bag so I would not hyperventilate um (laughs) and I also baked into it so here's what I knew when everybody was freaking out over there really hire Kevin Steele I was like folks I'm an Auburn graduate we're dysfunctional we just got to get our dysfunction out 
Then we'll get around to actually pursuing the hire. Um, Alan Green was never going to hire Kevin Steele. That was never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. Um, that was influential alumni who wanted to pull strings. And so, like I said, we had to get the Auburn out of us. And I love my school, and I'm so glad I went there. You know the disclaimer, Mike. You've said it about your school, Jason. We've all said it about our school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had to get that. If they would have announced Brian Harson three days after firing Gus instead of a week and three days, like if it out of the gate, it would have been, hey, they're pursuing Harson and then announced it. It would have been a totally different reaction from the fan base, I promise you, because any sort of even mild drill down on his success, it's not just because, oh, well, he doesn't play power five football. No, 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 no. That's a really good coach who knows how to run a successful program. Um, and so that was my opinion from the get-go. Uh, it just took about a week for us to kind of get the Auburn out of us and, and, and then make the hire. <laughs> By the way, there's Tennessee fans listening to this right now going, Chuck, you don't know what dysfunctional is. So, <laughs> Brother, you ain't kidding. You it ain't all depends kidding. on I mean, South Carolina, what was it? The president just, you know, he ticked off the uh, richest AC, I'll let you take that one. In school history and then said the wrong university at commencement. Yeah, yeah. Now she wasn't an athletics booster, but uh, she gave about seventy-five million, 75 million. To, to everything else there, you know. And he was a, uh, you know, uh, there's a long story there. But he, but he, he was, he was. <laughs> di- you want to talk about like a guy that stuck his foot in his mouth over and over? I mean, he, you know, in 2019, he went around telling everybody Will Muschamp could be fired, and they lost three recruits, and, and it, I mean, it just. Uh, the, the the birth of that phrase. This is why we can't have nice stuff. Not, that's yeah, from the that, South. That the Taylor, happened from the South. Taylor Swift uh, bogarted those lyrics from probably SEC football programs and, and SEC <laughs> universities. I love my school, but they're going to embarrass me sometimes. No, oh, yeah, yeah it, it happens. But it's, it's, it's uh, hopefully smoother days are ahead at Carolina. But uh, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just kind of how the how things are going right now. There you go. Hey, Chuck, I always appreciate the time whenever we do it. Uh, it, it flies as, uh, as if we're in studio on, on your show. Again, Chuck Oliver's show, that'll be 10 to noon. Actually, I screwed that up. That'll be 12 to 2 each and every weekday. And then, of course, Chuck Kinchernoff is uh, 3 to 7. And somewhere in between in that 60 minutes, Chuck uh, slams down a lunch at the battery. I really do. Studio. Yeah, yeah, I've no, seen Mike, it happen. You- Anytime y'all ask, uh, and JC, I'll tell you and the whole audience, uh, Mike is in a very small group of grown men that I have shared makeup with. So <laughs> any Tom Hart, uh, any of those guys, Matt Stewart, they want me on, Dave Neal. If I share makeup with you, then then I'll come on your podcast, okay? Sweet. That is the moral of the story. Chuck, uh, again, really appreciate the job you do. I know a number of our listeners do as well. Keep up the great work, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank y'all again. Relax. Ride with Founders. When you refinance your new or used vehicle from another financial institution, Founders will beat your existing rate by 1% to a minimum of 1.99% for autos and 4.99% for RVs. Or purchase a new or used vehicle and Founders will deposit $100 into your loyalty select account. Lower your rate or cash in the bank. Get started on your refi or buy today at foundersfcu.com slash refi or buy. Membership qualification required. Terms and conditions apply. Founders Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. If you are saving for a down payment to buy a home, you may be able to drop your savings goal from 20% to less than 5%. Ameris Bank offers a wide variety of loan solutions with low and no down payment options. With a quick consultation, the man, the myth, Stuart Wingo, loan officer at Ameris Bank, can help you determine which option best fits your financial needs and gets you into your dream home. If you're looking for a variety of products, competitive rates, and exceptional service, call Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You can also check him out online, amerisbank.com slash Stuart Wingo. Save thousands of dollars today by simply calling Stuart Wingo at 803-319-1777. You'll be glad that you did. All right, back with you here on JC and Morgan. We got into some SEC talk, and obviously we'll uh, continue with that later on. I do want to get into some of the major storylines since we last on and that is of course the Pac-12 finally hired a commissioner I love the tweet from John Wilner out Mm. there on the left coast um, one of the better college football writers and as he's tweeting it he's kind of breaking the story but he's like I've just found out who it's going to be but I'm going to have to quadruple check because this name just doesn't sound right there were so many names projected as potential candidates 
everybody from SEC athletic directors to people within other Power Five leagues that are associate uh, commissioners and deputy commissioners. And instead, they go with George Klivkoff, who comes to the Pac-12 as the president of entertainment and sports at MGM Resorts in Vegas, which I think we all think is where the Pac-12 is going to wind up being for a number of reasons. Uh, he held that job for all of two and a half years. So he's not your typical Vegas uh, high roller. It, it, Klivkoff is basically the second consecutive, which you would label, JC, untraditional candidate, right? Um, I'm just going to say this. I have no uh, you know, strong take on this one way or another. I wish Klivkoff well. I wish the Pac-12 well. But I'll go back to what I said that was exposed during the pandemic. There were three conferences that handled it properly from the start, and they stood out. Greg Sankey led the way. You had a longtime veteran commissioner at the ACC. You had a longtime veteran in Bob Bowlesby at the Big 12. And they handled it the way you should handle it. Then you had our friend Mr. Warren at the Big 10, uh, who had a giant omelet all over his forehead with what he did and had to retract everything and go back and play a, a ridiculously shortened season. And then you had the Pac-12. Those two gentlemen, Larry Scott, are guys that had no history of working on college campuses or for college football conferences. You had one guy who was the brain trust of the Women's Tennis Association. You had another guy who was mainly a lawyer and, and did some legal work at the NFL level. And that inexperience showed. I hope in this case, it doesn't show for the Pac-12. Yeah, and at least he's, you know, this guy, it is an outside-of-the-box hire, but, you know, at least he's worked in the footprint. Uh, I do think Las Vegas is going to become a very important city for the Pac-12 moving forward. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I'll speculate they're probably moving their headquarters there uh, because I think people are sick of, of, of what the, well, the money they're shelling out in the Bay Area Mm -hmm. uh, Vegas is cheaper to live in. I think now that the stigma of Las Vegas has kind of subsided a bit and you're, you're seeing pro sports move to town. Yeah. I think you're going to see a final four, uh, in that city soon. I, I think you're going to see, uh, maybe major league baseball expand into that. I mean, now that the stigma is kind of gone with, with not only that, but sports gambling in general, um, you know, I, I think you, you'll see a lot of activity, uh, on the college sports area, just because it makes sense as a, as a host place. Uh, and so he's kind of familiar with that landscape. And, and, and when you're familiar with that landscape, you're familiar with kind of, you know, the Pacific time zone, what needs to happen, what do fans want out there, that type of thing. Now, you're absolutely right. You know, you look at the pandemic, the three that handled it well, Bob Bowlesby, uh, longtime college athletics director. His career has been in college sports. Sankey, uh, obviously, had been at the SEC 13 years before he was uh, promoted. And prior to that, he was at the Southland Conference, um, you know, and uh, and then the, the guy with the John Swafford with the ACC, who was ACC at the time, was the athletic director of the University of North Carolina prior to ascending to the ACC job. The other two came out of like left field, like you know, tennis or, 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 you know, being a lawyer or whatever, and you saw what happened. Um, and so I think leadership's important. I think with the Pac-12 in particular, they have issues. And then, look, I'm not saying this thing's going to work out. I, I have a lot of doubts. I think they needed to go get somebody that's a college sports guy that knows how to do it. At You know, they needed a Mike Trangizi kind of guy or a um, – who was the athletic – or the, the commissioner of the Big Ten – uh, before they passed it off to Warren, um, gosh, he's a Delaney type of guy. Uh, they needed, to, you know, I talk about cage animal syndrome a lot with terms of college football programs that are struggling but that have potential. And then they go make the hire, i.e., Nick Saban going to Alabama 13 years ago, and and you, and you finally see that thing straighten itself out. I think the Pac-12 was there, um, and they went in a in a different direction. Now sometimes these things work out. I like this guy. Uh, my contacts, Mike, I have some contacts in sports media that know him, mm -hmm. that think highly of him, that I've worked with at my various stops um, in sports media. 
back when I had to get dressed to go to work. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, 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 so, so I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I, that was what I'm saying. It's, it, it's a, you know, I know he's from Vegas, but it's a gamble. It's, it's a gamble. Cause it is that. You know, there's, 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 there's nothing that says, you know, he's going to fix it. And, and, and you read Stuart Mandel had a nice piece, like what, what needs to happen with, to fix Pac-12 football. And the, the, the alarming thing you saw over and over again was, you know, people that, that, are working football that care about football that appreciate the game that understand the game. Uh, the word you heard over and over again was care and not care from the fans. You know, I know people have this idea that PAC 12 fans are all laissez faire. They're very passionate and football is popular on the West coast. Very popular. Um, you know, Southern Cal, uh, USC got, uh, they don't want to be called Southern Cal 90,000 in the Coliseum when they were rolling. You know, now there was no NFL football at the time, et cetera, in Los Angeles. But, I mean, it, it's a – and they're good football states. There's good high school football out there. There's a passion for the game. But when you hear this, you know, we need to care more over and over, and it's directly pointed to the university presidents, that's alarming. And then you read things from certain leaders of schools out there, well, we're not going to do like the SEC. We're just – we're not going to spend all that money and all that. Well, you got to spend money to make money. I mean, money is what makes your product work. Um, and I think that this guy, the new the new uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, Kleinkoff, uh, I think he's going to look at that aspect of it, uh, and 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 you know, hopefully, you know, with an understanding that football rules the roost, along with men's basketball, uh, can capitalize because these schools do have some things going for them with the name, image, likeness thing. Uh, that type of thing. I refuse. I don't think that league, even though we we all judge leagues on playoff teams now, uh, that league has been better top to bottom than the ACC for the past five years. Uh, maybe not in 2016 when the, I thought the ACC was the best in college football, but every other year top to bottom. I mean, sure, Clemson's not going to be able to match. Oregon's probably not beating Clemson, but go to number two, number three, number four, and the ACC is probably going to tote a butt whooping. So I don't think they're too far off. I think it's, it's tweaking it, optimizing it, and, and instituting a, a policy of care and support and investment uh, in the sport of football to, to make the future of that league uh, as viable as it could be. Well, I, I would say it all starts, number one, and I don't want to sound like uh, Mr. TV guy because that's how I make a living. Uh, th- this is not just a jaded um, – kind of narrow-minded point of view, but it all starts with the TV contract for them. Uh, They made a major, major blunder. Larry Scott might still be the commissioner today had he not tried to be the smartest guy in the room and be the quote-unquote innovator when everybody else was aligning themselves with ESPN and or Fox. He decided, eh, I think we should do our own uh, network uh, in-house and put it on five different channels and we'll go ahead and try to get distribution, which they never really got. And it was confusing and it just blew up in their face. That mistake's not going to be made again. Uh, regardless of who got this job, that is mission number one, clean that mess up, get with one of the big boys, put together a professional product and help show off your brand uh, the way it needs to be shown off. Number two, they really need Southern Cal to be relevant. And when I say relevant, I don't just mean like, hey, they went to a bowl game. That's relevant. I mean, they need to be contending for the playoff every year. Uh, you know, I said this before, the SEC, people are like, what's going to happen when Nick Saban? Re-? Well, let's just assume Alabama took a, a downfall, right? Let's just assume they went back to Mike DeBose, Mike Shula type success, then LSU will pick up where they left off. Auburn will pick up where they left off. Georgia will certainly pick up where they left off. Florida will pick up where they left off. The, the SEC will be fine. They don't, they don't depend so heavily on one program. You know, the Big Ten, if Ohio State went on probation, guess what? Jim Harbaugh, instead of being 0-5 against the Buckeyes, might be 5-0 and and, and might be the toast of the town. You know, so on and so forth. Florida State went down. Clemson emerged in the ACC. Uh, Texas went down. Oklahoma has been the power to hold the weight. But I don't know if anybody else can carry the weight in that league. Washington, bits and pieces. The Arizona schools, no, not so much. Uh, UCLA, we've been waiting on that thing to explode for 
30 <laughs> years. It's not happening. So Southern Cal needs to be relevant. Um, and, and then the other thing, which leads to our final topic, and then I know we got to scoot JC and that is playoff expansion in order to really facilitate the PAC 12 getting in the more often than not in a 14 playoff, they are going to be the odd man out. And so they, they need that sucker to get expanded sooner rather than later. Um, and I think that's where we are. I think that's where we're headed. Now there's been a lot of people that have just bought into this, the numbers like 16 and 24. And I'm just like, I, I, I know what you're reading, but understand the most important person in that room when it comes to these negotiations is Greg Sankey still. And Greg Sankey is real happy with four. So you can bet he ain't going to want to go to 16. Mm. I think the realistic number is eight. I think the, the, even the most resistant commissioners and power brokers in college football will be willing to budge to go from four to eight uh, I don't see 12. I don't see 16. I know a lot of people think that's the sweet spot, but I, I I would be shocked, JC, if it became more than eight. But even if it is just eight, that means the Pac-12 will have a, have a seat at the playoff table every year, and that can only help the league and perhaps some other leagues as well. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you're talking about, you know, spreading it out. You know, let, let's say the – in the playoff era, and I'm not including 2014 because Oregon obviously made it, or 2016 because Washington made it. But, you know, you're throwing a Stanford in there in 2015, and, and you know, they could probably compete. They were actually really good then. That's the last time they were good. Uh, you look at 2017, that, that was the Clemson team that played Alabama in the Sugar Bowl was probably the worst one Dabo's had during this recent run. I mean, Kelly Bryant at quarterback – a little bit unremarkable against good defenses, still great and dominated the ACC and South Carolina and whoever else they have to play, but not their best team. Um, so this USC team in 2017, which, which wins the PAC 12 and goes 11 and two uh, with only one loss being uh, one of the losses were, was to Ohio state in the cotton bowl. You're telling me that team matched up against Clemson in a quarterfinal maybe wouldn't have made some noise. I mean, you know, you think about these Notre Dame teams that have made it and 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 how they've been, you know, for the most part, extremely uncompetitive uh, when they've run up against a Clemson or Bama, you know, you match them as a three seed against a six seed, like a Oregon or something. And, and it could be problematic for the Irish. So, uh, and then we're talking about something completely different. I, I, I think with the way it's set up now, Mike, Leagues like the Big 12 and ACC, it, it's not the SEC and Big 10, because I think those guys, those conferences are so good and uh, they have so many programs. I mean, you mentioned what if Ohio State went on probation? Well, you got Michigan, who's one of the best programs in the history of college football. You've got Penn State, one of the best programs in the history of college football. And that's just in that division. Not to mention, you still have a historically great program in Nebraska, one of the most consistent programs in the country in Wisconsin, uh, kind of a Wisconsin junior. I don't, I don't want to piss any Hawkeye fans off, but a, kind of a Wisconsin junior in terms of consistency in Iowa. Um, you know, Indiana obviously was good last year. Michigan State. You have other teams take the place. Same way, you know, in, in the SEC. Well, the year Alabama wasn't up for it or in the playoff, uh, you know, LSU won the whole thing and, and, so, and was dominant. So it's not that it's the Big 12 and ACC because – even, even, you know, even though I think you could probably argue that the Big 12 top to bottom is probably a little better than the Pac-12, you can't make that argument with the ACC. But with a 14 playoff and with that committee still valuing, you know, they pick it. They don't pick it like the NCAA basketball tournament. They pick it based like, like the BCS without the use of computers. You know, so in other words, if you go undefeated, that means so much more in college football and always has. Uh, rather than than like in basketball where an undefeated team may be a three seed if they don't play anybody. So, you know, while it's set up like this, I don't think it's the SEC and Big Ten that are killing the Pac-12. I think it's these one-school leagues. Oklahoma's won the Big 12 six straight years. Clemson's won the ACC six straight years. Those teams, as long as there's nobody really challenging them within their leagues, are going to have a better shot than – you know, a year in the in the Pac-12, well, hey, well, Oregon's pretty good, Utah's pretty good, and Washington's pretty good, and they knock each other off. 
still a couple of years away minimum um, to actually be able to expand this. They'd have to finish their current cycle of, of bowl rotation. Uh, that's the the minimum. The maximum, of course, would be the, the length of the contract, which is five more years. But I think that's where we're heading. Um, doesn't necessarily help the leagues that are doing really well, which is why they're not exactly gung-ho over it. But I, I think for the health of college football, it is a good thing. And no, it does not. I hear this all the time, too. There's, somebody, there's so much misinformation out there. I know it shouldn't bother me, J.C., because uh, people can get their information from a number of different sources. But, I mean, some of these are credible people that, that say it with big platforms. Um, it, it's not going to change the same concentration of teams that are continually playing for the national championship. As I've said, ad nauseum. No matter what system we would have, the BCS, a playoff, a 16-team playoff, a 14-team playoff, you're still going to have Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State playing for the national title every year. That's not a postseason issue. That's an issue, if you want to call it that, of those programs are just far and ahead of the others. And so that that's that's not a byproduct of the 14 playoff. We would have had the same situation and scenarios if we, we, we didn't have, if we had the BCS, Mm -hmm. it it would just be two instead of four, but it'd be the same two out of the same four. Like it's, it's, it's fuzzy math. Um, Anyway, I I know we're on limited time. What do we got here? Two minutes, three minutes. Yeah, about about three, four. All right. Quick mention the sponsor, and I just want to touch something on on NIL, and then we'll we'll get deeper to that next week. Uh, I do want to mention Stuart Wingo, a founder, excuse me, founders, founders Federal Credit Union. They're great people too, but Stuart Wingo is going to help you on your mortgage, and that's why you need to call Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage at 803-319-1777. So many of you have already given Stuart a call, kind of kick the tires. Maybe you're a little bit skeptical, like, ah, he can't really save me thousands of dollars. And then all of a sudden, the proof is in the pudding. You do, you win, and Stuart wins, and everybody's a winner for that matter. And the morale of the country is better when that happens. So give him a call, 803-319-1777. I don't just speak about Stuart Wingo of Ameris Mortgage. I have used him. I have been a customer for several years now, four times I've done a, either a new mortgage or a refi through him. There is simply nobody better to deal with. He will explain it uh, chapter and verse in a way you can understand why it's the best route for you to go. And again, there's just very few people I can tell you about that are literally going to save you thousands of dollars. 803-319-1777. JC, we don't have enough time. I was just talking about the misinformation that that is out there on you know, what an expanded playoff would mean. We don't have enough time to talk about the faulty information that is given out to people on NIL. It's, it's two, we could do three hours on this, Um, but it is coming. And, you know, you notice all the SEC states are just about on board. There's two things that are happening. A, we're going to see full stadiums. Thank goodness. In college Mm -hmm. football. Uh, uh, B, we are going to see NIL be a factor. And now, of course, like everything else, Mark Emmert late to the party trying to, you know, uh, put the fire out one room at a time because he realizes if you don't have a uniform policy, what's going to be a murky system is only going to become murkier. But we're, we're, we're going down that road and there's a whole lot of questions. There's there are much more questions than there are answers to this at this point. But how do you see it? I mean, you, you focus on college football mm. as a whole, but you also focus on one program specifically in South Carolina. I mean, kind of, kind of put it in those terms. What do you expect it to do for or against the South Carolina program? Yeah. Well, South Carolina has taken, the approach that it's South Carolina, Texas, Georgia, and LSU all partnered with a uh, NI, I guess, an NIL specialist uh, organization. Um, which you know, if if if, if you're, you're in pretty good company in terms of other big time successful athletic departments, if you're South Carolina, Texas, LSU, and Georgia, certainly across the board have a uh, have a great history uh, uh, with uh, being successful with things like this and. and Clemson within the state of South Carolina is kind of doing the same thing. Um, 
where I think the disconnect is coming from, because also recruiting, you know, once this thing hits, you are going to have some very, I think, unrealistic recruiting pitches made, um, you know, just in terms of possible value. And, and I think it will come from all different directions. Uh, like I think a Northwestern right now could really play that up, uh, maybe dishonestly, about being in the Chicago market. Uh, or your UCLA, uh, or, or, you know, and in Southern Cal, USC is actually putting its money where its mouth is. They have a whole studio built for that. Um, and I think until we get a uniform policy across the board, i.e. a federal law, because these state laws are all different. You know, in Georgia, uh, they signed that law. Georgia UGA can take 80% of the money the, the student athletes make and redistribute it. I, I thought I thought Georgia was a right leaning, uh, pro business, uh, <laughs> free market, conservative state. I, I, I was like, for the most part, um, but Brian Kemp signed it, and uh, you know, so and that's different than the California law. And, and then you know, South Carolina's about to pass a law. Tennessee passed a law that's a lot different. So you, when you have like uh, you you cease to become a a a unified organization or, or athletics organization with fair rules across the board. Uh, and you become much more of kind of a loose confederation uh, when this stuff happens. And uh, you know, it, it needs to kind of be taken care of quickly because we're, we're right on the cusp, Mike, we're 11 days away from the dead period in recruiting that's been in place for, you know, a year and a half year and year and some change now from being lifted and it's going to be a stampede in terms of, you know, recruits going here, committing, decommitting, visiting, all that good stuff because of the pent up demand. And, you know, I'm just curious as to, as to how people are going to explain it. And if schools across the board are going to be responsible for doing that, uh, given the, the low hanging fruit that's out there where you can basically interpret it any way you want uh, without a uniform policy. Well, I, I think the number one thing is how are you going to decipher between what is actual market value uh, marketing deal for Instagram followers, autographs at a car dealership, et cetera, et cetera. There's, there's a million uh, things that could fall under that umbrella versus flat out let's call it what it is, pay for play. And I, I've used the term artificial demand a million times on this. What do I mean by that? I mean, in any other business, uh, when you're paying for a marketing deal and advertising, you, you set aside that money in your budget, but you do the numbers and the amount of business that you pick up because of that makes it justifiable to pay for advertising. When you turn on the TV and you see 1 million insurance commercials with some guy driving down the highway and singing a bad pet shop boys song to a hood ornament. Well, why is that? Is it artistic beauty to see that? No, uh, they've done the calculus that that means more and more people are going to be comfortable with that brand to buy insurance from that company. They're, they're people that that's their sole job is to determine how you get bang for your buck on your advertising and your marketing dollar. I don't think it's realistic to assume that some of the boosters that are out there that have money to throw around the same boosters that would give $10 million for a new addition to the football stadium could give $10 million to a number of five-star athletes. Uh, are they going to get $10 million of business in return because of the offensive lineman signing signatures, the wide receiver uh, doing an Instagram deal? No, that's why it's artificial demand. But the booster doesn't care about that. He's not looking for getting banged for his buck mm -hmm. like your typical true marketing advertising deal would. He's just looking to get premier players because he's passionate about his program winning games. That is where it is pay for play. You can call it what you want to call it. NIL is a nice term. It's very cosmetic, but that is in actuality pay for play, which is what I don't think anybody truly wants that is running college football. 
but if you don't word the rulings right, and if you don't have uniformity and consistency, I I think that there, that there are going to be examples of that that pop up. Is it going to be rampant? No, I'm not saying that, but it is going to be out there. And I don't know how you're going to stop it unless you chapter and verse spell it out to neglect it. All right, we'll, we'll delve more into that at another time and plenty of other stuff. Again, our thanks to Chuck Oliver of 680 The Fan and the Chuck Oliver Show for joining us earlier. JC, stay safe up there in Chi-Town. Uh, I understand there's a, a bit of crime going on in the southern part, huh. but uh, I'm sure the mayor is all over it. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll be back at it here uh, next week for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. We'll talk to you next time on J.C. and Morgan.